0: You're hanging out with your best friend, Curlin. I'm joined here by uh, Dr. Schaefer. Well, he works at the Department of Music Technology. I'll let him explain a little bit more about himself.
1: Sure. Thanks, Curlin, for having me on the show. My name is Dr. Seth Schaefer. Uh, I'm in the School of Music, and I coordinate the music technology program over there. And that's how Curlin and I met. Curlin is a a Bachelor of Arts in... Uh, with a concentration in music technology.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Sorry, I, I
1: should say that again, a Bachelor of Arts in Music <laughs> with a concentration in technology. Thank
0: you, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a couple of questions for you, mainly on how you got into the music tech degree. I know it's not one of your main focuses, because you've, from what I've researched, you have a very wide um, variety of things that you can do. But uh, we'll go into that, your degrees, schooling, and stuff like that. hmm uh, so then how have you been liking Omaha so far? Because I know you're not an Omaha native at all, right?
1: Right. No, I'm I'm actually from Southern California. Like the L.A., Long Beach area I spent about wow. uh, 10, 12 years of my life um, in Long Beach. And then before that, I was in a suburb of L.A. called Upland, uh, which is in San Bernardino County. Um, and then uh, in the interim between california and here i was in the north texas area like near yeah. dallas mm-hmm. so i've just been getting deeper and deeper into the midwest so uh <laughs> okay but, but <laughs> was to your that question the goal? <laughs> <laughs> uh it was not the explicit goal but uh here we are <laughs> <laughs> um i've i've been enjoying it though omaha seems nice this is my my second full year uh i've been here for two two years and now i'm starting my third year here um, I really enjoy surprisingly the winters.
0: Really? I mean, ah, okay.
1: I'm coming from a, like a desert basically. Yeah. So the snow coming down is still pretty magical and I enjoy that.
0: Nice. Um, I'm glad you're not tired of it yet.
1: Well, you know, I get tired of it about like April. Yeah. It's like, haven't we it's done like, this all right, already? Guys. Aren't we doing spring now? So, yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, how's the driving? Have you gotten used to the driving? Yeah. I think weather?
1: I was, I was. Pretty worried about that, like driving in the the snow and the ice, because in Texas they would occasionally get like an ice storm and it would literally shut down the city for upwards of like a really? week. Really? They were so unprepared for it, but Omaha's on top of it, and it's not been a, a big deal at all. No okay. problem. Okay. All right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Where I the the region of Omaha that I live in, it's South. O.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it's kind of like mm, Omaha. You could pick it up. You can, you can go ahead and go over they there. They could do and better help. there. Yeah. I get Um, did you have a? Four, four-by-four four car? No, no, and over? I
1: still oh. don't, still don't. Yeah, it's wow, just, you yes. just
0: brave the winters.
1: Well, you know, I think we're lucky um, there's a guy that lives uh, just down the street from us that drives one of those plows, the snow plows. Oh, okay. So I think he has, like, a <laughs> preference to cleaning his area first, so. Yep. It's, uh, that, or we're, like, on a bus route or something, it's not okay. a big deal, so. That's nice. Been, o- been okay so far.
0: <laughs> um... The next question I have is uh, essentially how did you get into the field? What made you get um, interested mm-hmm. in learning about music and technology and that whole aspect?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to trace back to the the very beginning for me. Like, when did I think technology could enhance music? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when did that When did that thought strike me as uh, potentially interesting? And it has to have probably originated um, sometime in between when I completed my bachelor's, my undergraduate degree in music, and then decided to go and pursue a master's. At some point in there, um, I had decided that I think computers could enhance what I'm doing because before then I was writing pencil and paper. yeah, you know, it was just it was uh, what we would call like acoustic composition only using only acoustic instruments, no electronic instruments. Um I, during my undergraduate degree, dabbled a little bit in film scoring and yep. started to play with the computers probably first uh, with the intent of doing film scoring uh, and doing uh, everything from mixing down a, a film scoring session to doing like virtual instruments and samples of, you know, clarinets. Uh, string instruments to kind of like make a, a mock-up, um, a simulation of the the score before I took it in front of a real orchestra. So uh, right towards the... I, I'm I'm narrowing it down now. I think right towards the end of my undergraduate degree, I was doing film scoring stuff, and that used uh, technology, and I only later started to reflect on that after the fact and say, I think I could do more than just this very conservative, acoustic-only kind of mock-up stuff that I was doing for film scoring and actually use the computer creatively um, to generate more experimental things.
0: Yeah, okay. So it was near the end of your undergrad, is what you said? Yeah, I think that's okay. that's where it
1: started to come together.
0: So then when you first got into your undergrad, did you know you were going to do music or were you a compositional writer first?
1: Yeah, the way, the way our school worked was... Um, you could major in uh, instrumental performance education, much like we can uh, mm-hmm. here in uh, at UNO. But we also had a degree in composition. But you couldn't get into it right away. So, some sometimes majors are like that, right? Where you have mm-hmm. to like present a, you have to pass a test, or or get in through some sort of portfolio, or pass a class. Um, so I was a tuba performance major, oh. uh, and I was the whole time I was there. I, Got a degree in tuba performance, but about halfway through, I submitted a portfolio of some stuff I was writing, um, some compositions, and the composition faculty looked at it and they said, "Okay, you can be a composition <laughs> major too." So I got a double major in composition. Um, wow! That was that, that occupied about like half of my time in, the, in in my undergrad. Most of the time, I was playing tuba.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So then. Is tuba the only thing you know how to play or do you do multiple things? Cuz uh, I know and yeah. people who play instruments tend to play multiple. They don't just stop at one.
1: Right. So I majored in tuba and you know in terms of like professionalism that's the instrument that I would be the most <laughs> professional on. <laughs> but um you know I grew up playing piano my parents forced me to take piano lessons and uh, I don't know if that was your case if you did you grow up taking piano lessons no. at all. Some some people their their parents are just like, you know set on it you're gonna take piano lessons whether you like it or not and that was kind of the case but at some point something clicked in me and I thought I think I like this so <laughs> so I, I took piano lessons through high school and um, I have some facility on the on a keyboard instrument but I'm by no means a pianist so that mm. that translates to all sorts of Things with keyboards on them, like accordions. I have an accordion. I can kind of play it. Okay, uh, I play a lot of synthesizers that have you know traditional piano style control, mm-hmm. you know, with keys. Um, and sometimes I play just regular piano, but not like I said at a professional level. Right. You
0: stick with tuba <laughs> when it comes to professional.
1: Yeah. Even then, now it's been a, it's <laughs> been a been a while since I completed my undergrad. So. Oh
0: yeah. So then uh, I'm gonna backtrack or get us out of that section, mm-hmm. but I will come back to it um what do you like doing more is it compositional writing or do you like being in the studio being able to edit and mix stuff down and stuff like that
1: mm-hmm. so you're asking about studio experience um I can give you like the my backstory with that a little bit yes. was uh I hadn't really uh had much studio experience uh, until I had completed my undergraduate degree um prior to that I was working for this for that school of music for my undergrad Um, in their performance venue, kind of like we have, we have performance venues here, concert hall, the recital hall. Um, We had a a performance venue that housed all of our live concerts. And so my first experience doing anything um, that was remotely, you know, music tech was setting up microphones, pressing record and recording concerts, right? Very simple, just doing stereo recording, easy editing, where we just kind of like, uh, segmenting the different pieces, uploading that to some sort of online archive. So that's what got me started. Once I completed my undergraduate degree, some of the people that I'd worked with, and namely my boss, um, had recommended me for a position at a nearby community college. And so I uh, I was probably incredibly unqualified, but they hired me to run their recording studio. Wow. <laughs> probably mainly because I could point out what a microphone was. And they're like, that's good enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I started uh, started running that recording studio, learned a ton just by being in the studio and uh, got to know Pro Tools really well, which is like the one of the industry standards for software, software standards for editing and recording. Um, and so... Uh, found myself learning more and more in the studio and some of some of the things I learned there I still you know I bring with me here to this job Um, so to your question about do I prefer recording versus uh, composing it's um, it's not an either or in my mind they're they're both uh, functions of a very similar kind of approach uh, which is to create music and to um uh produce it and make it sound good ultimately so I often think about and I've talked with composition students about this idea of the composer is in some ways just like the audio mixer and editor right you're just doing it kind of much slower and with pencil and paper um, for instance if you want to bring up a fader on the mixer you can do that to some degree with your acoustic composition right you can write a crescendo mark and the instruments are kind of you know you're Balancing the instruments in a similar way that you would be doing uh, at a mixing desk, for instance. So if you have an ensemble of ten players in front of you, it's almost like you have ten different channels of information that you can, you know, tweak the way they sound. If you want them to play, you know, darker, it's kind of like, in some ways, it kind of analogous to changing their EQ settings, right? The equalization settings on the mixing console. So they're they're actually not too dissimilar, and I don't in my mind separate them as like, um, tasks that need to be ranked in any sort of way.
0: Wow. Okay. I never thought about it like that with composition writing. You said your first gig doing studio recording was for a community college. Um, how long was that? And how did that go? (laughs) (laughs) Like learning experience wise, (laughs) did you, um, did you learn the hard way? out over there? like, Was it essentially just trial by error?
1: I'd like to think that it wasn't just that. Um, it wasn't reinventing the wheel or anything. Uh, there were things that I I learned through doing, certainly. I think that's one of the, the most important ways to learn is by putting our hands on equipment and actually doing things. Um, and so in classes that I've taught there, elsewhere, and, and even here, we I like to stress like the hands-on yeah. approach of like you take that microphone, you place it, let's use our ears and see if that was a good, you know, we can make a judgment call together if that was a good decision. But of course, there's a lot of resources out there, maybe even more today, or at least more accessible today through everything from YouTube to traditional book sources, online websites, forums, um, not to mention people that were in my life that were helping me learn these things and giving me their own kind of sharing their expertise and their life experience uh, in the studio. So um, there's there's just a variety of ways that I, I learned in that space, some of which was, like you said, just kind of like trial by error, but mm-hmm. a lot of which was like purposeful and um, with the explicit intent to like get better at this and to try to um, emulate those who had, made breakthroughs and we're sharing those right so many of the established practices are pretty well known for instance like stereo techniques right Mm -hmm. if you want to record something that goes into two channels and simulates the way our ears work there's a lot that's already been said that um, has a lot of authority on that subject there's no reason to ignore that
0: yeah yeah
1: as an example anyway
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so then you've essentially, have you only stayed within the academic environment when it comes to uh, learning uh, how to how to work in studios and compositional writings and stuff like that? Or have you worked outside in dive bars or stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great uh, thing to bring up. Certainly, like, academic, academia is great, right? There's mm-hmm. a, a lot that you can learn. And, uh, A lot of good experience, kind of like first experiences for myself, first experiences for students, but like the real world is is a little different. Um, And so quickly into that job that I had, I started working with local bands, both as a performer and as uh, someone who was doing both, like, live sound production, working on uh, recordings, uh, mixing albums down, editing them, even helping with the production side of, uh, like, working with artwork, making decisions on songs, writing songs um. for, for the bands, um, I started working. Uh, once I was a little bit more established, I started working as a mastering engineer for many of the local uh, groups in the the scene there, thinking of like the, the LA and Long Beach scene. Um, and so got to know some of the studios that were in and around that area, um, had uh, plenty of like paid gigs to, to be a performer or to uh, work as an engineer in one uh, aspect or another on on albums. So the, the kind of professional experiences uh, were um, prepared by my experiences teaching material yeah. and also working in uh, those academic situations.
0: Wow, okay. so you j- as soon as you graduated, you just kind of went for it, huh?
1: I mean, it sounds that way now, but I mean <laughs> it, was, it was over the course of probably seven to eight years that you develop a network of people that um, eventually let you in. right? <laughs> they start to trust you yeah. like if they trust you with one song, um, and you do a good job on it they might trust you with an ep and if that works they might trust you with a full-length album right it's it, it all escalates um, if you do a good job and so i think one of the things that i was really uh, interested in was staying um, connected to the people that i was often seeing and making sure that like if they needed something that i was there and i was able to help them and i would I hate to say it, but I would often offer my services for free because that kind of gets the foot in the door, Yep, lets them know that like, hey, you're you're not just some guy with a copy of Pro Tools or whatever. You actually have some experience. You also know what you're doing. And ultimately, you can take someone else's work and elevate it. You can take it to a, a, the next step up, whatever that might be for that particular group.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I am a, a beginning, or not beginning, but I am go- heading into that field, essentially, and I'm, I'm trying to do the successful story that you're, you're saying here, um, but one of the things that kind of hold people back that are in the same position as me, I would say is the amount of failures or uh, learning opportunities that there will be ahead of us. Did you have any, and if you did, how were those, and how did you handle those?
1: I never made a mistake ever. And <laughs> <laughs> I have no, yeah, no, obviously mistakes happen all the time. Um, I can think of many examples, uh, some of which are just, you know, they're not worth sharing cause they're just small things. But, um, I think, uh, one, one thing that pops out to me as just kind of like maybe a funny story. Uh, there was a time where I was uh, playing a lot with this band and I was, uh, playing uh keyboards in the group playing synthesizers i had uh a little computer that i had velcroed onto the, con- the the keyboard and i was triggering sounds from uh you know popular software like main stage or logic or something like that and uh simple mistakes you know were made and at some point that laptop would go flying off the off the keyboard and you know rip out of the back oh, of the <laughs> of the keyboard and then you know things just fall apart occasionally um <laughs> And that's OK. I think I think what matters, though, is, like you said, like learning from the mistakes is good and also just like being passionate about what you want to do and like going for yep. it. You know, uh, I think people are a lot quicker to forgive mistakes if they can see that, like, you're earnest in your desire to, to learn and to do things. Right. And oftentimes, um, you know, having witnessed many, many students go through programs that teach music technology or music composition in one form or another um, the students that stick with me aren't the ones that have either made mistakes or didn't make mistakes. People that go on to be professionals that I've, I've witnessed aren't, aren't the people that are the ones that always get it right. But they're the ones that are um, oftentimes making the best connections with people and are just really like honest about what they want to do. And they're like curious. And I think that's one of the best uh, the best. Um, like traits that uh, that someone who's aspiring to be a professional uh, can have is someone that's like curious. So it's like, uh, if you're trying to get a job professionally in like the, um, in, in, a, in, a, in a dive bar here, right? You're right. post-college, you're trying to get a, a full-time gig. Um, I would guess, I can't vouch for it, but I would guess that the person hiring is probably looking for someone who wants to do it. Like they're just like yearning to do it. And uh, they're not expecting you to know everything because, honestly, like, it's impossible to know everything. And so they're looking for someone who cares enough to make sure they're going to be there day in and day out. They're going to show up. They're going to try their best. If they make a mistake, they're going to try to learn from that. That's the sort of person that I think is going to succeed, not the person that can just, like, present a polished product every now and then, right? Yeah. And is sort of, uh, you know prima donna. And I you know, I'm, I'm, think I'm really good. It's the person that is willing to work hard and will be reliable in the long term. That's yeah. that's really the you know, that's what people want that are hiring.
0: That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm banking on because I've got a lot of learning to do. That's left. So then within the learning aspect, we're going back to your schooling. You mm-hmm. did go to CSU, correct?
1: Yeah, I went to Cal State Long Beach or CSULB. Yeah.
0: And you had a bachelor's in music. Or was it a bachelor's in performing arts?
1: Yes, it was a a bachelor's in music, a a B.M. degree. Mm -hmm. Great, great. And that was in performance and composition.
0: And so then uh, when you first got into it as a freshman, did you know you were going to study music and composition or did you like at all at any point switch majors or think about switching a major or anything?
1: Yeah, that's uh, I guess from the very beginning, I thought I'm going to do music. it's it's so interesting because that's such a big decision when you're going to college like what am I going to do with my life you know and everyone asks this I don't I don't recall really struggling with that ever I thought I'm going to do music obviously like I don't (laughs) know (laughs) I didn't really give it a second thought I will say the only uh, like other major that gave me like a passing thought that I thought you know, this is pretty interesting. I could do this. And it's silly now to even say it, but I took a geology class and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I really like <laughs> rocks. I had a rock collection when I was a kid. You know, I was thinking like, this is, uh, I could see this being interesting. Thankfully, I think I dodged a bullet yeah, there. That would yeah, have been not very yeah. interesting at all. But um, uh, yeah, so I, I guess from the very beginning, I was thinking music. I don't know, nothing else.
0: So then not at any other point other than the geology, you've never wavered. <laughs> Uh, no. Like throughout the whole thing, you were you were just so solid on it, like
1: yeah. I, I mean, it, the way you sound, the way you say it, makes it sound like I had quite a bit of confidence in it. But it was just, it seemed like, what else would I do? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I get it. That's kind of what I fell into too. I first got in here though. I was doing bachelors of, or I'm, I'm sorry, I was studying uh, to be a uh, business administration and double majoring in business administration and Spanish, and I was doing it mainly for my parents. And then uh, as soon as I hated that, tried it out, uh, I ditched it all and then I came directly to the School of Music and I was like, how do I do that music tech degree? Mm -hmm. So then after graduating uh, with your bachelor's or undergrad, uh, did you go directly into, because I know you, you did more studying afterwards, did you go directly into your graduate degree or did you wait a couple of years, months maybe?
1: Yeah, I did, Um, and actually that was some of the hardest, but most, um, the times that I learned the most, I think. So after I completed my undergraduate degree, I had my heart set on doing film scoring. That was what I was really preoccupied with at the time. Didn't happen, something fell through. I was really bummed about that. That was a real like kind of low point in my life. and then I started working at this recording studio. Started getting exposed to more experimental music. Started to think about like, what did I do during my undergraduate besides play tuba? What else was interesting? And I started really focusing on composition, as like the um, the one thing I think I was truly interested in. Like the one thing I really felt like I could learn more about this. To be honest, I was sitting in my room playing tuba all the time, just long tones, and it was great. Like not to diss any tuba players out there. <laughs> Um, but I just realized like I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. I don't think tuba is the thing for me. Um, and so uh, I took three years off before I went back to my masters and it was a completely different ball game going back for a masters I I looked back in retrospect to my undergrad and I just thought, why why was I doing the things I was doing? I was just showing up to class just trying to make it through you know and, and you get it, I know. It's just kind of like, uh, Duty—you just got to complete the class. But going back for the masters, I was like hungry to learn. I was just like there's so many things I want to know, and I, I'm just like eager, eager, eager. Um, in, in complete honesty, uh, eventually that kind of wore off, and it was a little bit back to the drudgery of like going through classes. But at first, I was just like this—like this is such a unique opportunity to be among a whole bunch of other people who are interested in the same thing you're interested in, and you can bounce ideas off each other, you can have a conversation at any moment with someone about some really deep topic related to your field, and it's just a really special thing to be part of that community. Um, So, sorry, my long long story short, yes, I took three years off in between my masters, and then I took uh, a year off after the masters before the doctorate. Wow, so, and both okay. of those times were really good experiences just kind of like uh take what you've learned and apply it professionally mm-hmm. and kind of get perspective on what is the real world again like what what is actually going on in the real world and now that I took a big breath I'm ready to go back in and and do academics again
0: yeah yeah wow so then what was was that your driving motivation is just like every time you finish your graduate let's say you're your undergrad, your graduate, and then you go into your PhD or your doctorate. Was it just the fact of that pause, and then you're going back, and you're hungry for more, you're learning more?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's easy to get burnt out in academics, and and many of your professors, that's their world, right? <laughs> many of your fellow colleagues as the students, there, it's like it's it gets to be a little bit too much, and so, um, but dip your toe in the real world again, and you realize how special. This kind of place is. Yep. Um, and so I think, yeah, kind of visiting the real world, participating professionally, made me realize it's like, oh man, I'm still hungry for more. There's still so much I could learn and so much I could dig into. And so, it felt like the the logical kind of progression of things. And you know. Uh, some people just love to be in school i suppose that i'm in that camp i don't know
0: okay you like to study
1: you know if you do it for most of your life
0: <laughs> you know i guess you just kind of used to it at that point right, right. <laughs> um so then i do know i was looking into it you did a radio show i think you had a radio show in texas
1: I, I didn't have my own radio show but I was I was a guest on a radio show oh, pre- previously guest. How, uh, how, how... kind of similar to this experience as well so a, a student uh, at that time as an undergraduate student in composition um, had decided to switch majors and he switched to uh, broadcast and radio whatever the in the name of the department was um, and he was starting a, a radio show Um and that was all about composition. I think he called it a comp talk or something like oh, that. But that's cool. He was just like interviewing um, composers that were on campus or visiting guests and, and asking them them about their process. And if I recall, that radio show is about uh, kind of origins of electronic music. So we were talking Ooh. more historically yeah. about like. Where did electronic music come from, who were its four founders, and that, that sort of stuff. So, okay. Yeah, all very interesting.
0: So then, uh, when did you start composing for electronic-based music? You said it was near your last graduate degree, or was it more in the—like, where, where in general was it?
1: Yeah, so when I went back for my master's, uh, I remember right away I had this drive to work with electronics. And so the first piece I wrote in my master's for, was for trombone and electronics— and it was using the tools that I knew, which were, by you know, by today's standards, they're really primitive. It was just some software to, to do, uh, like, a delay effect, like an echo, echo, echo oh, kind yeah. of effect, right? So I wrote a piece of music for trombone, solo trombone, with this echo effect. Um, and it's very simple. Like, it's, it's a very simple piece, but it, it really, it, like, whetted my appetite, like, the, the response I got from that and just the... Um, I guess the augmentation of the instrument, like one instrument by itself, what can it do? But one instrument with electronics, like it can do so much, even if it's a very simple thing, right? And so all of a sudden this one trombone player sounded like a massive choir of trombones and it was this uh, really addicting sound. Uh, And it was more than that, it was a really addicting approach to writing music that you could take any acoustic sound and uh, make it, more better louder yeah. uh, more exciting more nuanced more timbre changes more you know more of everything really um you can take any sound and transform it to whatever you want and that was um and it still is like a real passion of mine to do that
0: yeah and i'm recently hitting that uh, with the tape ensemble that is uh over at music tech degree um Yeah, the first piece I did with Ian after I performed it or whatever, I thought that was pretty cool. And that was all it was, was essentially it wasn't using so much real instrument based. It was all electronic, but it was still very interesting how you can just essentially grab certain audio clips and uh, organize it in a way and then perform using a MIDI keyboard and using plugins and stuff like that. It's an actual like it takes on a whole thing on its own. I thought that was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and the tools to to do that are very accessible these days as well. Um, yeah, I think we're living in sort of a golden age of of possibilities, and it's really uh, the tools to do this have been democratized, so that you know anybody and their kid can pull up <laughs> some very fancy software on a on their phone, on a tablet, and just go to town and make some really amazing things. Not to mention, um, you know, the more kind of nuanced and methodical approaches that we cover in classes here where we really get to know the instruments, get to know how they work. Um, You mentioned the Tape Ensemble, which is a technology-assisted performance ensemble that we have in the School of Music. And, I mean, one of the goals for that is to uh, basically take any instruments that we have that available and turn them into music and so it's student driven uh, writing our own music there um, using any means possible so you mentioned like using a midi controller to you know pull up software and play anything you want really so um, the possibilities are just wide open for electronic music
0: yeah it really is it's crazy um, let's go back to when you were talking about uh, filmmaking and stuff like... Or not filmmaking, but composing for film music and stuff like that. Um, I did notice that you you did successfully compose certain pieces for films. Uh, how was that like? And how does it feel to be able to listen to or, or watch something and then have your... your What you created on there?
1: Oh, it's like the best feeling in the world. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's awesome. And it's uh, to to see i i love film and film music uh even though i don't really do that professionally anymore um it's uh it's it's like the the biggest group project you can think of right in the best possible way i know people hate group projects but <laughs> in the best possible way you have a bunch of people with a, a wide variety of talent coming together to work on a single thing a single statement single like audio visual thing that comes together and um I had some of the greatest experiences working uh, with directors to try to f- like flesh out what is the emotion of, of your uh, film that's going on, what kinds of things can the music do to support that. Um, I had great experiences working uh, with live orchestras and getting those recorded, mixing those down. Um, and then, like you said, the the experience of seeing it all come together, the actors the all the costuming, the sets the the cinematography, the edits, the you know all of the musical elements all boiled down into like one thing. Um, it's just it's very satisfying to see that come together. i I really enjoyed those experiences a lot.
0: So then how long would that take? Was it about a year, the six months?
1: Well, it depends on the project. Um, I've some of the projects I worked on were much longer term, um, but more often than not, doing music or even the sound design comes, unfortunately, right at the end. You have to wait until they get what's called picture lock, which means that no more edits are going to be happening to the to the video side of the film, the the you know picture side of the film. Once it, you've reached picture lock, only then can you ask the sound people, whether it's, uh, you know, audio, audio editors or the Foley or sound effects um, or music to really start to produce the, the accompanying media for that. Um, but oftentimes directors will engage you before picture lock and they'll, they'll ask you questions. They'll kind of show you early edits. They'll start to get you thinking and they may actually require you or ask you to like produce some samples so they can start to get a, a, a sound in their ear that they like. Um, but yeah, once you hit picture lock, sometimes it's two weeks before they want a finished thing. So, um, some of the, you know, some of the craziest experiences I've had, I've been like staying up all night to, you know, finish writing the music, uh, finalizing the notation, printing off and like taping together scores, (laughs) you know, like every little detail needs to happen. And then showing up to a recording session, putting it on stands and then just like hoping you did everything right. Wow. And, And- Most of the time, things come together, at least in my experience. They they came together okay, and, um, yeah, it's a really wild thing to see, like, this whirlwind of of work get paid off so instantly, you know? Like, within two weeks, you have, you know, film scores done. It's just like, (laughs) wow, you know, the most manic kind of work possible. But for some people, that's exactly the kind of work they like like to work in really Is tight time di- yeah. t- timelines to have, you know, tight budgets and to, you know, just really cram stuff in there. So <laughs> oh, I don't no. know if I, yeah, I, I don't know if I would want to work professionally in that way. <laughs> it just seems really stressful to me now. <laughs>
0: yeah, it sounds really stressful. That's, geez. And I think it's so crazy. So then when you, let's say when they're, they're like, hey, we're done with the whole movie Do you have to have already or did you have already an idea of what you were going to use? What kind of instruments? Because literally you can use whatever. So does anybody help you narrow down what kind of instruments you use? Uh, How to compose, like give you an idea of what they're looking for and stuff?
1: I mean, usually those conversations happen with the director or the producer prior to Picture Lock. Um, And you're, you're, you're having discussions about when music happens through like a spotting session where you sit there and watch watch a rough cut of the film and say like this part's really important i really need music to take over the scene right here you could say this this scene's a little weak the actors weren't feeling so good that day could you add a little bit there to like help it kind of get through that little awkward bit there right so you're kind of already establishing where the music is going to be kind of the tone of the music right oftentimes as part of those conversations you're talking about instrumentation you're talking sometimes very specifically right so one of the films that i worked on um, was very specific about having uh, this person whistle on it, right? This like famous whistler. He had whistled in a bunch of uh, like uh, Ennio Morricone's films, like the, the spaghetti western films. He's the famous like, do yo yo. Oh yeah, like that guy. Uh, I wish I could know his, uh, you know, recite his name here. Unfortunately, I don't remember it. Um, it was like very important that he was part of this, right? So those kinds of things pop up where it's like we must have. A didgeridoo or something like that Right, you fill in some something and you're like okay, okay. <laughs> I guess we'll make that work right so um, again it comes down to the director some people have very very specific things in mind that they want where other directors are like I don't know show me show me some examples maybe um, you know write me four or five little pieces and I'll pick one
0: so then would you say it's kind of similar to a sound designer for a theater production
1: to some degree, although I've done that personally a lot less. I don't really have much uh, experience with that. So um, I think it, it really depends on how much uh, creative freedom you're you're allowed. And, and it's one of, to be really honest, one of the turnoffs for me for film scoring now, thinking about it, is that um, in some ways, uh, whether you're doing sound design, effects, Foley, or music, you're really at the... Um, you're at the, you know, it's, it's the director's and the editor's discretion to use what you give them. And so ultimately, you don't get to call all of the creative decisions. You're part of a team that helps make something happen. So you can have this amazing piece of music that you think is the most beautiful thing ever written, but your opinion ultimately doesn't matter, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. the, it's the director and the producer's decision to, in that final edit, say, mm, you know what? Let's pull that down. we want the dialogue to to be important here or sound effects. let's make the sound effects more important than the music and you know you can't you can't do much you can have you can try to fight it but like ultimately it's not your decision and it's it's not your you're not the um, overarching kind of creator of the whole thing. you're a, you're a cog and a machine to make this thing happen um, which uh, I think is in some ways very freeing. Um and in other ways, obviously not, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. So then uh on the um conversation with uh, sticking on topic with uh working with groups and teams like that, I have noticed you've worked uh with Vampire Weekend on modern vampire what modern cities?
1: Yeah, the I think the album is Vampires of the Modern City. There we go. Um yeah, that was uh, certainly a claim to fame, but um, I, d- <laughs> I don't really have any personal relationship with the band. Uh, that was I was hired as a, a sideman musician to come play tuba on, oh. on their album, which was an awesome experience. Um, we recorded at Vox Studios in LA. It's a all-analog studio. It's just like vintage everything, basically. Um, oh. And so uh, most of the band members were there, and... Um, we worked directly with them. They were they were providing us with the material that they wanted us to play. They were uh, surprisingly very sophisticated. They had notation on iPads. They were making real-time changes as they heard things that they wanted to correct. They would update the iPad. Um, uh, all of the engineers were very knowledgeable uh, with what they were doing. They were recording directly to 24-track analog tape. Um, and also bouncing it in, into Pro Tools as well. I mean that they weren't totally in the Stone Ages. <laughs> so um, overall, it was a good experience. It was, it was, you know, a few hours of my life, but uh, it turned out that that album did really well, and yeah. you know that that's great for them. Um, I didn't personally win a Grammy, <laughs> but I de- definitely like lived through proxy. And I thought, mm, I'm, I'm as close to a Grammy as maybe I'll ever be. So <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was a blast. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And uh, I think it's a great album, too. It's they're not my favorite band. But um, I do sometimes listen to it. And I think, yeah, I really dig this. It's really fun to to like, it's good music, um, good songwriting. Um, it's fun to hear your, your own tuba playing on it, you know, when it when it happens. But I, I think the, it was a well deserved album so you know congrats to them for that
0: So then when you were working there and you saw that everything was analog did you know going into Vox that everything was going to be analog
1: No I mean certainly that that studio was well known for being kind of an old school studio mm-hmm. I think it's I, I could be wrong on this but I think it's one of the oldest if not the oldest still in operation studios in in LA meaning that I don't think it's changed ownership Something oh, wow. like that. There's some. They have some sort of notable thing about their studio, um, among other things. They had a, an amazing collection of like vintage keyboards and synthesizers and a massive collection of percussion instruments. So, you know everything from your traditional drum sets to like world instruments. Um, I mean, it, it's it was a, a really sweet studio space that uh, allowed for. You know we didn't use we didn't make use of any of those keyboards or percussion instruments while I was there, but. Um, you know, it was a really fun studio to be inside of.
0: And then, how was it being around just the gang, the Vampire Weekend people? Were they like, did you get to talk to any of them? Oh either?
1: sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're great, great guys. Um, yeah, they, they were. Just it was it was fun. pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be quite honest, when I got the when I got the gig, um, I turned it down initially because. The, the the their name kind of like rolled past my ears really quickly and I I actually said no 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 I think I, I think I have a, another engagement that that day and then kind of you know sometimes like after you hear someone say something it kind of echoes in your head and you're like oh did you say vampire weekend <laughs> and, they're, and he's like yeah 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 like I think I can reschedule I think I can make that work sure
0: <laughs> and you're like yeah I'll I'll take a piece of that yeah I'll get, yeah I'll get in on that so
1: kind of I kind of flew over my head right at the beginning then then I reflected on I thought no I think this this sounds pretty cool so um, I hadn't been really into their music before so mm-hmm. I definitely spent some time preparing for the session by listening to their past albums and kind of getting to know what I was about to yeah. uh, you know embark on so and it wasn't it wasn't me just by myself there was uh, two other brass players so it was a it was a brass overdub session so we had nice. a trumpet player and a trombone player along with me playing tuba so
0: so then when you were asked to go out because I'm assuming were, were you still is Vox in California? You said.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I was still living and in California. Still living then. living mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. So
0: then, were you excited at all when you got that gig, or were you just oh kinda for like, sure, oh, yeah, it's just another gig?
1: I think I was just uh, I was a little unsure of what I was getting into. It was the biggest uh, named group that I'd been um, you know asked to play play for, uh, and then I walked away afterwards, um, like truly feeling like I was a professional. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was one of those kind of defining moments where, after the fact, I thought. I just did something professional. I think I'm a professional <laughs> musician now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had other experiences like that before that kind of like set a standard or set a bar, just like, yeah, I do this now, right? Like I, I can I can make this happen and I have the experience to back that up. Yeah. And it feels good. I'm sure you have similar experiences that you've probably encountered before. It's like the first time that you're being paid to do, I don't know what, place a microphone or, or do an edit and you're just like, yeah, I did that. I'm a professional, right? <laughs> yep. So it feels good. It feels yep. good. It's like, you know, you build gradually those little things to the point where you have established a career and it takes a long time, but, um, excuse me, uh, it takes a long time, but it just, you know, it gradually uh, kind of accumulates, you know, yeah. the experience and kind of you start to feel like I am a, an authority on this. I can do this.
0: Yep. And with that being said, uh, that'll conclude our session, our little interview we had today. Thank you so much, Dr. Schaefer, for coming in and taking time out of your schedule to meet up with me and have this interview.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. I really enjoyed our conversation. And um, yeah, it's it's been fun to kind of reflect on the past and to talk about what's going on now and how that affects uh, people like you, our students that um, are looking at their future and saying like what what is there for me to do and how can I do it and hopefully uh the music technology program here at UN UNO has equipped you and the others that um, yeah your your colleagues hopefully you'll be able to take that next step in the real world start to build those experiences and become you know professionals that we can all really admire so yeah yep go yep. out there and do good work
0: all righty thank you and have a good night